I'm honored to introduce this remarkable speaker today. Some of you will recognize that she's been here before. She is the Honorable uh, Shalina Brown. She was recognized by Silicon Valley Business Journal as one of the most influential 100 women in Silicon Valley. Governor Brown appointed her to her judge seat on the Superior Court as one of the youngest judges ever in the history of the state. However, I know her for last 15 years as simply uh, an amazing woman of God, serving on the team with uh, my friend Dr. Tony Williams. She's a fabulous speaker. I can't wait to introduce her to you yet again. Would you guys put your hands together and give a warm round of welcome to the Honorable Shalina Brown. Good morning, good morning. God bless you. So blessed to be here this morning. Um, I want to uh, bring you greetings from Maranatha Christian Center, where Dr. Tony Williams is the pastor. I see some old Maranathites over there. Good morning to you. God bless you. And just to uh, honor Pastor Hamilton for inviting me this morning, I'm so honored to be here. Um, give your pastor a hand. <laughs> honored that he would trust me with his pulpit in his absence. Um, so I'm just grateful to be here. Let me just whisper a word of prayer, and then I want to share with you just a few things this morning. Father God, we thank you for your presence in this place. I pray that you take the little that I have. I ask that you bless it. I ask that you break it. Allow it to meet the needs. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So glad to be back with you. Um, I'm going to share with you, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what it's like to be a judge and um, I've been a judge, this is going on my eighth year, and I can't really believe that it's been that long already, but it has. And so I'm going to share with you um, one of the principles that I use on the bench, and it's also a principle that I employ in my personal life. And I want you to see the parallels of the principles that I'm going to share this morning between um, being a judge and then what it's like to be a Christ follower if you are. These parallels, you'll start to see them as they come through as I speak. I'm going to start with Matthew 25 and 14. This is a parable um, of the ten talents. You all, most of you know this. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not talking about money, so go ahead and breathe easy. Whenever we talk about this, this parable, people think we're talking about money, but we're, we're not talking about money this morning. If we could put that up for you all to see it. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To each he gave according to his ability. Then he went away, and he who had received the five talents went at once and traded them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Say amen for the reading of God's word. So the principle that I want to pull from uh, that reading is the principle of stewardship. Stewardship just means to manage, um, to supervise, or in my context as a judge, it means to preside over. So to manage, to supervise, or to preside over. And uh, what I'm learning as I get older um, is that principles are really your guiding force. Um, many people think of, uh, when they read the Bible, they think of rules, but I don't want you to think of them as rules. 
Rules are things that motivate you externally. For example, if you're driving too fast on the freeway, it's the threat of being punished, caught and punished and charged with a fine. That's a rule, it's an external punishment. But a principle is something that motivates you from the inside because you believe it to be true. So you follow the principle not because you're scared of a punishment, you follow the principle because you believe it to be true. So when you get your principles straight, your life becomes easier because your choices become clear. If something comes at you and it goes against your principles, you don't even worry, spend a lot of time thinking about it because you say no to that because it goes against a principle. So I have started thinking of my life not so much as following rules, even though I'm a judge, I follow the rules, right? But I, start, I think about my life as following the principles and the principle of stewardship is one that has been extremely important in my life and I hope that uh, it will add some value uh, to your life. Let me tell you what it is that I do. When I tell people that I'm a judge, they, they think different things, but I want to tell you exactly what it is. I'm simply a manager of chaos, right? The only time you come to court is when something is wrong, when something is terribly wrong, right? Either someone has taken something from you, someone has injured you or someone you love, or there is a grievance, or there is something that is out of order. We can look around this world and we can see that there are so many things that are out of order. So my job is to manage chaos and to put things, people, emotions in order. So let me tell you the type of people that I see, because I preside over criminal court right now. When you think of me, pray for me. <laughs> I manage, I, I, people come to me because they have been unable or unwilling to manage portions of their lives. For example, people who don't manage their anger or their resentment end up in front of me because they've been fighting or they've even killed someone. Unmanaged anger. People come before me because they have not managed their desires. There's nothing wrong with anger, there's nothing wrong with desires, but when you don't manage them, they can turn into addiction or deviant behavior. People come before me because they have not managed greed and envy and jealousy. So when you come before me, you've probably stolen something or at least you're charged with stealing something. So when I see these folks, it's, I think of it as they are coming to me because they have mismanaged something in their lives and they need me to bring order to their lives, and that's what I do. I put parameters around people's lives to help them manage, right? If you can't live in society, then you must be put in custody. If you live in society but you can't stop driving without hurting people, then I take your car away. So basically what I do, in my mind, is I bring order and management to chaos. It's much better to manage ourselves than to be managed by me, amen? Would you agree? So we're gonna talk about this morning, that this morning. I wanna show you and pull for you some parallels between my work life, my personal life, and me being a follower uh, of Jesus Christ. In 2011, I was driving on the freeway and I got a call. And um, my phone would come up on my dash and it said, uh, unknown caller. For whatever reason, I answered it, because I usually don't. And the person said that they were from the governor's office, and I said, really? 
And I almost hung up, and the person kept talking, and we went back and forth a few times, because what you have to understand is I had tried to be a judge before, and I failed. So when I got this call, I didn't believe it. So after a while, I said, are you kidding? And he said, ma'am, I would never kid like this. I wouldn't kid about something like this. So um, I realized that this was my dream coming true, right? Because you don't get a call from the governor's office unless it's something good. Well, at least, well, I don't know, but for me, <laughs> unless it's something good, right? So while this was my dream call, uh, has anybody ever had a dream come true? Right? Has it ever happened while you're driving too fast on the freeway? <laughs> so I told the guy, I said, uh, the man, I said, listen, I got to pull over because I was just excited. I was just nervous. I was just excited. I didn't know what was going to happen. And when I pulled over, um, he, he began to tell me that the governor is offering you a judgeship. And I thought, this is awesome. This is what I wanted. This is great. That's so much power and authority and status. This is... And then I thought, that's so much power and authority and status and responsibility. Can I, can I do it? Now, when the governor's office calls you, you do say yes, even though I had some doubts, some doubts and some fears creeped up in my mind. But you definitely say yes. And so what I did is I accepted the call. That's the first point that I want to make, that if you are a follower of Christ, there is a call that you must accept. Man, if you're breathing this morning, if you're here, if you're listening, the only reason that you're breathing is because there is a call on your life. The only reason that you are here is because you have something to contribute to this world. You have something that only you can deliver the way you deliver it. I want you to think about that for a minute. The only reason that you're here is because you have something that only you can contribute. Young people, start thinking about that now. There is a reason why you're here, and it's your responsibility to uncover what that is and produce it and give it to the world. You are an answer to, to a solution. You might be the answer to a bullying problem. You might be an answer to a problem in your family. You might be an answer to something in local politics. You might be an answer to something globally. But the only reason that you're still with us right now is because you are an answer. You are a solution. So you should think about trying to bring that out and discover what it is, because whatever you have, we need it. The world is a mess. We need you. We need what you have. Amen? Now, after um, I accepted the call, I took an oath. And this oath is very serious when you really, really read it. You swear in front of God and the public and everyone else. You raise your right hand and you swear to defend the Constitution of the United States, the, the Constitution of California, and you swear and you affirm that you will do all of these things without bias or prejudice, right? Um, this is what I noticed about my oath. I didn't get to decide when I accepted the oath that I could follow some of the laws, but not others. That I could be just for the people who look like me or have my line of thinking or believe what I believe. There is, they don't give you any options in the oath. There's no line under it saying, unless I have a bad morning, right? If I don't feel like it, there's nothing about that. So basically, when you take the oath, you submit fully and completely under the authority 
of the United States. We should do the same when we take the oath. We don't take the oath and decide which parts we like and decide which parts we don't like. When we take the oath, we have to submit ourselves fully and to the authority of heaven. Amen? Are you all with me? All right. Am I making sense to you? All right. So anyone who is put in a position of trust, anyone who um, is charged with discharging the duties um, like a governor or a president or a judge or a lawyer, you have to take this oath. And the reason you take the oath is because what you're managing is not yours. What officials, what I'm managing doesn't belong to me. Department 34 doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the state of California. And so I wanted to let you know that you belong to Jesus Christ. You are a manager of you, but you don't own you once you take that oath. You simply manage what God has given you. Are you with me? All right. Now, you have to submit completely uh, to the authority. The reason that you are given yourself to manage, and when I say that, you're given your temple to manage, you're given your mind to manage, you're given your thoughts to manage, you're given um, your ideas, your opportunities, everything that is in your life, you are responsible to manage it. It's a big deal, it's a big responsibility because there's only one you. So if you're waiting for someone to come around and manage you, if you're waiting on God to manage you, it's not gonna happen. You are supposed to manage you. Uh, Let's put up the quote by C.S. Lewis because this is what uh, C.S. Lewis says about stewardship and submission. Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or, or of moving, your limbs from moment to moment is given to you by God. If you devoted every moment of your entire life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, already his. So if he gave you breath, he put it in your body, your job is to manage it. Amen? All right, I'm going to talk about what that management should look like in a little bit. Um, But let me tell you what happened after I took the oath. After I took the oath, um, I was fitted for a robe, and you get this um, pretty heavy (laughs) black robe, and they're all black, and they're all boring. Um, But the reason you get a robe is because the robe covers up all of your flaws. It covers up all of your inadequacies. When I go out on the bench, I am not going out as Shalina. I am going out as the steward of Department 34. So it means that you don't get to look at me You look at what I represent. What are you representing this morning? Who are you representing? When I go out there, I am fully covered and fully clothed because I represent the state of California. Now, once they give you your robe and everything, they give you your department, and I can't even tell you how amazing it is to um, walk out and up the steps to sit on what we call the bench. The bench is high and lifted up, and it oversees everything. And it's high like that because, one, it represents my authority, but two, it represents the fact that I need to be able to see everything because I am responsible for everything that happens. So I am seated up high. Now, the reason that I'm seated up high, I just told you, is because you're given an incredible amount of authority. And 
I want to contrast for you what my life was like the day before I was a judge and the day after I was a judge, because it is just night and day. Just like that, one day my life changed. I was a public defender for 15 years. That means I represented the indigent. That means I represented those who were mentally ill or um, those who were just marginalized in some way. So when I came to court, people weren't really trying to hear what I had to say, right? People would close the elevator, I'd be running, they'd close the elevator. They weren't waiting for me, right? What do you think happened the day after I became a judge? Oh, come on in, what can I do for you? They were rolling out the red carpet for a sister after that, right? But the reason I say that is because I felt like, even though I had a place at the table as a lawyer, the, ta the place at the table that I have now, I'm the head of the table. Let me, let me just give you an idea of the authority that a judge has. I can, as long as I'm in my jurisdiction, which we'll talk about, I can take money from you and make you give it to her. I can put you in custody, I can release you. I can tell you where you can go, what time you need to be home at night. I can even, in some cases, believe it or not, tell you what colors you can or cannot wear. Now, of all the things I can do, I've only been called mean one time. I'm sure people thought it, but nobody <laughs> had the courage to say it. I told a person that they could not go to a Target for three years, any Target, anywhere for three years. That was the meanest thing I've ever done. <laughs> I can understand it because I do enjoy my Target. <laughs> but that's the kind of authority that you have when you sit in my seat. And the reason I bring it up is because I want you to understand that when it comes to your life, you have the exact same authority. You have the authority to manage your life. The problem is most people don't want the responsibility because it's easier to say, it's my parents' fault, that's why I'm like this. It's society, it's that judge. Do you know how many times a day I hear, why are you trying to put me in? I'm, I don't even know you. I'm not doing anything to you, I'm simply doing my job. But it's easier to blame systems and structures and people and circumstances than it is to take responsibility and say, this is my life and I must manage it. Now, one of the things, uh, I'm going to give you a tool right now because I, I, I don't think that you're convinced that you have authority. I think that many people think, um, well, this is just how I am. This is just how I feel. This is just what I think. I'm stuck with this, this is the way it is. So I'm gonna give you a tool right now. Um, let me uh, tell you just a little bit about how um, I discovered using this tool in my own life. I was very new as a judge and I allowed some evidence to come in that I shouldn't have and I realized it in hindsight and I was, I was wrong and I was mortified and I just thought, oh, I'm just terrible at this, I can't make it work. So I went to go see a colleague, old guy, right? He doesn't even look up when he's talking to me. I'm standing at the door and I'm like, I need, I need some help, I need some answers. And he was just calm because judges tend to be calm when they get older, when they're young, you're still nervous inside. And I said, this is what I did. And he said, 
strike it. And I was like, what? I can, I can do that? You're the judge, aren't you? You can just strike that. Let me uh, tell you what that looks like in your Christian walk. 2 Corinthians 10.5. We destroy any and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. I want you to notice that that says every thought. That means that if there is a thought that comes up, and you're going to practice this with me, I'll never be good enough, your response as the authority in your life should be, strike it. So let's give it a try. I'll never be able to do it. I'm too old to try something new. I'm too young. This always happens to me. You get the idea? I do this in my personal life all the time. When thoughts come up that tell me I can't do it, I'm not smart enough, it's not going to work out for me, I strike those thoughts because I have the authority in Christ Jesus to strike it. Amen? Now let's talk a little bit about, um, let's talk about emotions. Because emotions are a little bit different, right? Emotions can be tricky. They're not good and they're not bad, they just are. But they're always overwhelming people. You'd be surprised how often in court people are having outbursts and they're crying and they're yelling. Lawyers are screaming and, I mean, not often in my courtroom, because, right? But. <laughs> You'd be surprised how much emotion is happening in a place that is so structured and orderly. All kinds of things are happening. So emotions are running, and God gave us emotions, and they're, they're ours, but they're ours to manage. Emotions are interesting because they are not always what they seem to be. I like to think of emotions as like a red engine light. When you start feeling an emotion bubbling to the top, you should check what's really happening. Let me give you an example about anger. Yes, when I sit, sometimes I'm angry about circumstances and things, but I'm rarely personally angry, right, at a lawyer or a litigant. The only time I've ever been personally angry is when I feel like someone has stepped on my values, disrespected my order, right? If I told you to come and do a certain thing and you didn't do it, you stepped on my value, right? And so I'm angry. So I have to check myself and realize it's not really the anger. I feel disrespected, right? Sometimes people are envy and jealous, uh, envious and jealous, right? But if you really think about it, it's because you're looking at something that you want. And God is not showing it to you because you can't have it. He's showing it to you because you can have it. So stop being jealous of other people and find out what it takes to get the thing that you want. So emotions, I deal with emotions a little bit differently, and I, if I feel myself, you know, getting a little hot on the bench, I'm, you guys are working my nerve, I'm starting to get a little warm, I check myself and I say, what am I feeling? Is it relevant? Can it wait? If it can't wait, I take a recess. Because if you ignore emotions, they're just going to come up later. So I never ignore it, but I say, is this something I can deal with now, 
or is it something I can deal with later? Nine times out of 10 is something you can deal with later, but if you never think about it, you'll just blow up. So the tools work just the same for that. If you have an emotion that's coming up that says, I'm so mad I could just strike it. You can strike emotions too, but you can put them on the, on the side so they can come back later. So I wanted to just let you know that authority rests within you and you have it. The last thing I want to talk about, we've talked about submission, we've talked about authority, and the last thing that I want to talk about with you this morning is protection. When you are a steward, you are protected by the master, right? As a judge, let me just tell you what jurisdiction is. Jurisdiction is basically um, the extent of your authority, the extent of your power. I can um, order a person or a document anywhere in Santa Clara to be brought before me. But I may not be able to go across the state and order something unless I have jurisdiction. So jurisdiction is really like a fence. Everything inside the jurisdiction is mine. Everything outside is not. But it's also a protection because it protects me from everything outside, right? So I think of jurisdiction um, basically as a fence. When I talk about jurisdiction, I also have the full backing of the state of California whenever I say something, right? So I can't control what you think about me. I can't control what you say about me. There was a woman who was picketing in front of the courthouse. Judge Brown is unfair. Judge Brown is unfair. I can't do anything about it. I don't like it. But I couldn't do anything about it. But what do you think happens if she comes or he comes into my courtroom, can you put the, the diagram up? If you come into department 34, yelling out from the back, judge, you're doing it wrong. Judge, I don't like your robe, I don't like your hair. Just yelling crazy stuff in my court. What do you think would happen? Yes, exactly that, you're going to jail. You know why? Because it's my courtroom. For the record, this is not my, for the record. This is not my courtroom, I just pulled this from the internet, but I just want you to see how far back this gallery is from where I am. People who are here, spectators in my life, people on the internet, social media, I, I can't hear you. You have no right to speak in this place. Lawyers are allowed in this area we call the well, and only the closest people get to me. My deputy's there, everybody's there. No one gets to me unless I invite you. If you ask me, judge, can I come to the bench? It depends on how I feel. Maybe I say yes, maybe I don't. <laughs> My point is you have the same. We are allowing too many influences from spectators, from people who have no, no, no jurisdiction to speak in your life. You're letting people speak to you as if they're at the bench of your life when they're in the gallery of your life. Be mindful who you allow to speak into your life. They should only be there at your invitation. It works both ways, because while that person cannot come into my courtroom and do anything that I don't allow, I can't go as much as I'd love it. 
I can't go to the mall or a restaurant and arrest people who are talking loudly on their phone while I'm trying to enjoy my meal. I wish I could do it, <laughs> but I can't. So jurisdiction work, works both ways. So before you start trying to manage him, manage you. That's the way it works. You can only manage what you've been given authority over. Amen? Yeah. Amen. The other tool that I wanted to give you real quick, and I almost forgot it, but you have the authority. Um, let me put it to you this way. When I am properly robed and on my bench, whatever I say becomes. Whatever I say is. You are remanded, sir. My deputy will not hesitate. You're gone. You must pay $50,000. You must not do this. You must come home at a certain time. Whatever I say is. Whatever you say because the power of life and death is in your tongue, if you are saying all day, I'm stupid, I'm dumb, I can't do it, guess what? It is. But if you say, I am victorious, I am fearfully, and I am wonderfully made, you're God's handiwork. You've got to start saying things that are affirmations to who God says you are. Amen? Amen. I think that's so important. We don't realize it, but we are the ones bad-mouthing ourselves often. If you hear, have a thought or an emotion that is, um, God affirming of you. I can do this. I am victorious. You should say, it is so ordered. Whenever I say that, that mean the thing, means the thing is done. It is so ordered. So you are the head and not the tail. It is so ordered. You are victorious. You are above and not beneath. All right, that's just a tool that I use from time to time. All right, I want to start... Um, getting ready to close this thing. But my bottom line is that stewardship is a responsibility. And it's a safe haven for you because as a steward, you don't have to figure out your resources. You don't, I don't have to, as a judge, I don't have to, I don't have to figure out my training, my resources. Everything is provided for me by the state because they own it and I'm just a steward. Same thing with you. You are not responsible for the joy and the grace, all you have to do is ask for it. If you would dare to, ask for what you need. If you would dare to. Now, the one last thing about this parable I want to mention is this. Um, at the end of the parable, the servants who were productive, the one who uh, made more uh, talents, they were given more to manage. And the one who was not productive had what he already had snatched away. Now, this is a difficult principle to get hold of, but it's in the book. I didn't make it up. Whatever you don't manage, you will lose. Think about it. The fig tree, if you remember, it wasn't productive. Jesus said, you are cursed, and it dried right on up. Right? The vine dresser and the vine, if you're not productive, it gets cut away. So I'm not talking about your life. You, you are secure in your salvation, but I am talking about the things that you can control. If you don't manage your money, you already know that's gone, right? If you don't manage your thoughts, they will manage you. If you don't manage your emotions, they will manage you. But beyond that, 
If you have an idea and you haven't managed it, you're going to look on TV and, so, and say, I had that idea two years ago, and somebody's going to be making millions of dollars off your idea because you didn't manage it. My friend says that all the time. I had that idea. Young people and young at heart, manage your opportunities. You have opportunity for education. You have opportunity to travel and do things. Don't mismanage your opportunities. When you're young, you think these things are going to happen over and over again. As an older person, they are not. <laughs> so manage your opportunities when you get them. Manage your disappointments. Has anybody ever been disappointed? I have. If you don't manage it, it becomes bitterness. It becomes a root of bitterness. What I'm trying to point out to you is that everything needs to be managed. Can I say one more thing that might be hard? If you're praying for something that you're not currently managing, why, are, why would God give us things that we're already not managing? You're praying for money. Are you managing your money? We're praying for relationships. Are we treating those who are in our lives right, lovingly? We're praying for opportunities on our job, but we don't even show up on time. And when we get there, we play on the internet all day and then leave early. But you're praying for a promotion. All I'm, I didn't make it up. It's a principle. <laughs> Instead of praying, and I'm not saying don't pray. Don't tell Pastor Hamilton I, Hamilton I said that. I did not say that. What I'm saying is maybe change your prayer and say, Lord, help me manage this. Help me manage this area, right? And then when you begin to manage it, he's just going to give you more and more and more because that's the principle. Manage what you have. Now, has anyone ever mismanaged any areas of their lives? I'm going to go ahead and raise two hands. We've all done it. We all do it. And I wanted to just leave you with some good news before I wrap it up, is that even if you've mismanaged some areas in your life and you find some area of your life that is really out of order from what you really wanted it to be, so usually you wake up one day and your life is not what, it, what you wanted it to be in some area, and that's because of mismanagement. We all do it. This is what I want to let you know, is that it's not over because you serve a God that is a restorer, right? He can restore anything. He can even restore time. So if you've mismanaged some things, just take it to God, put it in his hands, and let him manage it for you. Amen? The other thing that I want to let you know is that when we mismanage certain areas of our lives, sometimes there are consequences, right? Sometimes there are tears. Sometimes there's loss of relationship or loss of opportunity or loss of money or any kind of circumstances, any kind of consequences. But this is the good news, and this is why I love to serve this, this God. It's that every tear, every hard time, every ugly space in your life, God uses it because he's a good steward too. He wastes nothing. Do you remember when he fed the 5,000 with the two fish and the five loaves and there were, there were leftovers? He saved those, right? He bottles our tears. He knows when we're upset, when we're hurting, when we're in grief. 
It's not wasted. We know that in Romans 8 and 28, it says that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So even the hard times, even the the ugly times, he's working them for your good, right? Because when you hit that situation again, you're going to be wiser, you're going to be better, you're going to be stronger, you're going to have more wisdom when it comes around again. So even if you're in a hard place right now, don't despair because your God is a good steward and he's not going to let it go to waste. I think that's good news. Amen. If you've at a, you're at a place in your life where you have mismanaged and you just have a little bit, you just got one little talent left. <laughs> you just got one little shred of hope, one little shred of patience, <laughs> one little shred of if you do that one more time, <laughs> right? If you have a little bit left, if we saw in the parable, I'm going to ask you not to dig a hole and hide it. I'm going to ask you to <laughs> put it in God's hands, amen? Because even if you have a little bit left, and you can't seem to manage it on your own, the good thing about him is if you just ask him to help you manage it, he will. And once, it manages, once he helps you manage it, manage it, it will flourish and be greater and better than it ever was before. Amen? Amen. So we're at the end of this message. I hope that um, it added value to your life. Submission or stewardship is submission, accepting the authority and the responsibility that comes and it is also uh, knowing your jurisdiction, right? Your limitation and what you can do. So with regard to the response to the message, I'd like you to do something if you would commit to managing your thoughts for seven days. They say that we have thousands and thousands of thoughts each day. And when, with the thousands and thousands of thoughts, there is bound to be one that is negative or not in alignment with what God says about you. So you know what I'm going to ask you to do, right? When you acknowledge that thought, when you hear it, when you see it, when you, when you, and that's the whole point is to be conscious of what you're thinking. Think about what you're thinking about. I want you to track it for seven days. And if you come across something that isn't in alignment with what God says about it, you know what I'm going to ask you to do? Strike it. Amen? So that's what I want you to do for seven days. You can track as many or as few as you want, but I want you to do it for seven days. You'd be surprised what you find out about your own mind. <laughs>